This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Tyler Walker, voice of Gang Orca and Bondo, and ADR director and scriptwriter for hundreds of your favorite anime episodes, and a former guest on this show. You're listening to the I Know You Hear Me podcast with Mr. Flynn Hendricks. Hi, I'm Will Harridge, and I'm an audio engineer. But you would not believe the amount of mediocre voice actors I get in on the daily. It's scary, honestly. I always want to recommend them to Elise Bowman, who's the best voice acting coach I know. But I'm always afraid I'm going to offend them and be out of a job. Thankfully, I send the best ones over to her anyway over at EliseCoaches.com, and they keep coming back. Hi, I'm one of the mediocre talents that Will has to work with. And really, I'm thinking about looking up Elise myself. Go look at Elise Coaches today and start your career without ending mine. What he said. Are you needing some decals made? Maybe some vinyl or monograms? Then you need to go check out my wife's Etsy shop at Decals by Kins. That's K-Y-N-S. Go over to Etsy.com slash shop slash Decals by Kins, and you can check that in the show notes as well and see what she's done for other people and see what she can do for you. And I'm speaking from experience here. All of my water bottles, my protein bottles, they all have something that she's printed and put on there, and those things last. So if you need something like that for a gift, for your family, for your kids, or even for yourself go check out what she can do for you and as a special treat for my listeners if you use the promo code flynn that's f-l-y-n-n she's even going to get you 10 percent off your order now you can't beat that so go check it out and see what she can do for you and i know you hear me welcome back everybody and i know you hear me when i say today is going to be a great episode of the i know you hear me podcast with me flynn hendricks and I hope this podcast is going to find you all in a good place. And if for some reason you're feeling a little down, I hope it leaves you in a better place by the time you hit that stop button at the end of this interview. And if this is your first time listening, I've got to encourage you to go back and hit that subscribe button. And then when this episode's over, go do a deep dive in the archives because I've got over a year's worth of guests for you to enjoy. Just sitting there waiting for you, ready to share, ready to take some laughs, take some life lessons, and just have some fun while you're listening. And on top of that, too, we're on social media. I've got us on all available social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Get connected, stay up to date with what I'm doing, whether it's wrestling, acting, or this podcast, because we've got a big guest today, and we've got more big guests coming down the road, so you don't want to miss out on any of that. And if you would, please, do share this podcast, because that word of mouth helps, and it's free to do. And I want to keep this podcast going because I want you guys to be able to continue to hear these chats with my friends. But if you feel so inclined, guys, if you want to donate monetarily or if you just want to rock some cool merch, I do have shirts available. I do have 8x10s. I've got a lot of different things and I can ship directly to you or you can go to my Pro Wrestling Tees store. There's links for everything in the show notes. All sales will help keep this podcast going, and they will also help benefit the Nashville Humane Society or the Peter Mayhew Foundation. 
So that's a win-win. I'll let you decide what charity you want to donate to. And on top of that, if you snap a selfie and you tag me on social media, you'll not only get a shout-out there, but I'll shout you out on the podcast too. So I'm going to get your name known worldwide. I'm going to let them know that you're showing your support and you're rocking the cool merch. So that's a win for everybody. And, man, guys, I'm still processing that we're this far into the show and things are still going. Things are crazy on my end as far as wrestling goes. Things are picking up acting-wise. And I'm just trying to do my best to remember what day it is. But I'm not going to miss an episode. I'm going to make sure you guys get quality content every week. And at the same time, I'm going to make sure that Jeff makes it sound pretty for you guys on the back end. So that you don't hear a lot of background noise and static and all that. Because we want to keep you guys tuning in every Friday. And now, this is the fun part. This guy is a... Oh, man, I'm still trying to process that we're even connected. He's on the other end of the line right now because this guy has managed a who's who in the world of professional wrestling. Some that you probably heard me reference on this show. Some that you may know as guaranteed bona fide WWE Hall of Famers. Some that may not have made it to that point but definitely deserve to be. This guy was a manager extraordinaire in OVW, which was Ohio Valley Wrestling. He sent more talent from OVW to WWE in the early 2000s than anybody else. And on top of that, too, he's also an accomplished author. He's got a book available called I Probably Screwed You Too. You may know him as the king. You may know him as the star maker. But ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to have on the show tonight, Kenny Boland. Kenny, thank you, sir. Kenny, the star maker, Boland. My apologies, my all apologies. All that great introduction, all that time and effort, and everything you put into that introduction, and you left out Starman. Ah, I botched what it. What in the same hell? My apologies. Nashville's own, you're coming out of Nashville. Yes, sir. My son was born in Nashville. I got my first wrestling job down in Nashville. But most importantly, you left off Starmaker. Starmaker, man. 54 I... men, 54 men sent to the WWE, most of them. Uh, I think if we dropped the names, people would know most of them. But then again, like you said, household names, uh, the John Cena's, the Randy Orton's, oh, the yeah. Brock Lesnar's, uh, the Dave Batista's, various people like that. Absolutely. Ilk, uh, Dolph Ziggler, Shelton Benjamin, yeah. uh, just uh, still a ton of those guys. I mean, it's been uh, 20 years uh, since we had that, uh, well, 20, 23 years since we first got Man. our contract with WWE at OVW back in 1999, August of 99. Man, and, uh, it is crazy amazing how many of those guys are still making money today. It, Absolutely. And I mean, like, you can even throw on that list, friend of the show, the Iron Man, Rob Conway. And I mean, Absolutely, yeah. Carlito, like Nick, just guys. Nick I've, Carlito. Yeah, guys I've ran the roads with. And it's just, it's insane how many have sat under your uh, learning Sh- tree. Sh- and Shad Gaspard. The uh, late Shad Gaspard, Lance Cage. I mean, there's, there's a who's who. Mark Henry, world's strongest man. Rico Constantino, like. The list goes on and on, and like it, you it, said, it is a lengthy list. It amazes me sometimes when I look at it. Absolutely, and I mean the name Star Maker is fitting. So my but then again, when you think about how great I am, it shouldn't be that big of a. I'm shocked it wasn't a hundred. Should have been a hundred. Absolutely, absolutely, and I want to. I want to come back to that list here momentarily, but just pardon the dogs. They decide to go nuts. There, hey, hey, I, try to do a podcast. Stop it. I'm an animal we lover, just, so we, I would. We just, we just, well, I just uh, I just uh, adopted a new cat. Very and, nice. Uh, Chairman Meow, and uh, two of the dogs <laughs> love cats. Scooby's still adjusting, but I think Chairman Meow and Scooby kind of made up today. They seem to be getting along. Uh, I think Scooby thought he was a squirrel. 
Ah, Scooby I, loves to play with Biff the squirrel out in the yard. So yeah, I'm I'm a humanitarian as well. I was glad to see that's one of your charities. Yes, sir. Uh, and I, I've got I got three dogs, two squirrels, and a cat. <laughs> so we, the squirrels live outside, but they can come in if they want. They just say, "Well, there's three dogs in there. We'll stay right. out here." We're not gonna we're not gonna risk it in there. And kind of the yeah, reverse of I, you. I buy I buy ten pounds of peanuts every two months uh, to Ooh. feed them in the window. They get Fruit Loop cereal. They get. Uh, uh, bread if that's what they want but their favorite is apples so Man. whenever i think to buy apples and bananas they get apples and bananas and corn and they get it they're, they're spoiled rotten they were at the window at eight o'clock tonight and want more food and they just ate earlier today they got it so, good man they got it they better got, than most people going out. absolutely so before uh, before we get off on the uh, on the squirrel tangent which i'm still like i just... thought that was the show i thought we were just gonna <laughs> talk about squirrels dogs and cats and end the show what in the hell else is it to talk about? I mean, it might, that I could imagine. might be a little bit of a nutty episode, but, uh, you know, that, that, that works for me. Episode. But let's, uh, I, I want to know, especially like speaking of nutty, the world of professional wrestling. Everybody has a different story for how they got involved and what pulled them into all this, this crazy world that we're all somehow involved in. What was it like and what drew you into the world of professional wrestling and how did you get your break to get in? Well, there were, uh, it's really a, a several step process. Um, uh, I used to go roller skating every Tuesday night in mm-hmm. Grange, Kentucky, my hometown. And the guard at the skating rink started taking Tuesdays off and she wasn't the guard there anymore. I said, well, where are you going on Tuesdays? She said, well, I hear you down here at the skating rink all the time talking about this Jerry, the King Lawler. And of course he was a bad guy back in 1974 oh, yeah. and everybody hated him. And she said, how would you like to go down and meet your hero? Would you like to do that? And I said, she said, but you got to give up skating on Tuesdays. I said, well, I can go skating on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I said, right. no, I'll go, I'll go to the matches on Tuesdays. I said, how much does it cost? She says, $2.50 for general admission. She says, we get there about two hours early, and we get the front row of general admission. That's like having the $4 seats, only you're one row behind. And I think ringside at that time was $6.50 if you wanted to set ringside. Man. So I said, well, two fifty sounds like more of my budget. We'll just take the general admission, a little <laughs> right. money for some White Castle or Kingville. So I started going to the matches in 1974. And she used to hang out in the alley and meet the baby faces as they'd come in. Uh, Tommy Rich and Tommy Marlin, the referee, and, oh, man. and Eddie Gilbert and Tommy Marlin and, and all those guys. But I wanted to meet Jerry the King Lawler. Back in that time, Jerry Lawler uh, was managed by Sam Bass and was a tag team partner with Jim White. Mm-hmm. So eventually through time, because the heels were pretty strict not to associate with the fans. Right. But eventually through time, uh, Jim White stopped and said a few kind words. Jerry Lawler had not spoke a word to me since he'd seen me out there. It was just the smirks because he was the, the top heel in, in the business. Even in 74, even before he was known as the king, he was still the top heel. Oh, yeah. Him and uh, and uh, Jackie Fargo was the top babyface. And um, um, Sam Bass eventually stopped and talked. And uh, so that was pretty cool. So that might have been around late 74, early 75, that Sam Bass stopped and talked to us. Mm-hmm. And, he told, and he told me that Lawler owned a plane and sometimes he flew to Louisville and that him and other wrestlers would ride up, uh, but not everybody flew in the plane with Lawler. That's, that's what he told me. So, um, so I finally, Lawler stopped and said a couple of words to me out in the back. He's, man, you're a nut. He says, how, how do you root for me every week? He's, I... He said, that, that's, that's not smart. And I said, well, I know, but you're the reason I'm here. So eventually, so that was really the closest I'd ever got to meet him. And then Jimmy Hart, of all people, who was not managing Lawler yet, mm-hmm. noticed in the Louisville Gardens, which would be five to 6,000 people every Tuesday night, you had to get there two hours early just to make sure you got in uh, or buy your tickets early, as Nick Goulish used to say. Um, 
Jimmy Hart had noticed that I was the only one rooting for Lawler. And um, and intermission comes up one night. Jimmy Hart's standing back where the, uh, where the guest of the wrestler set, and there would only be a few people back there. So Hart says, hey, kid, kid, come over here. So I uh, go over there. I don't know who the fuck Jimmy Hart is. I didn't realize he was the guy that sang Hang On Sloopy and right, Jimmy right. Hart and the Gentries and all that. I didn't know any of that. So I go over there, and I said, yeah. He says, uh, he says you're a big Jerry Lawler fan, right? I said, yeah. I said, uh, he says, you're about the only Jerry Lawler fan in this building. He says, man, these people treat you as bad as they treat Jerry. I don't care. I'm here to see Jerry. He said, well, how would you like to meet Jerry one night? I said, well, I met him briefly out back one day. I said, we said a few words. I said, he probably wouldn't know who I am. He said, well, he needs to meet you. He says, you're the only fan he's got in this building. He says, why don't after the show you come back here and meet me, and I'll take you back and meet Jerry when the show's over. I said, man, hell yeah. So that because I figure I'm going to get a little bit more than a couple of words in a back alley. Right, right. <clears throat> so I remember doing Lawler's show once, and he says, Kenny, why don't you tell the story about how we met? I said, well, Jerry, I met you in a back alley in Louisville, Kentucky. He said, well, that sounds terrible. I said, it does. <laughs> Probably need to change that story a little bit. Just so, a little bit. Um, so Jimmy Hart takes me back, and Christine Jarrett's kind of running to Louisville Gardens at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was absolutely forbidden. There ain't no ain't no fans getting it. What What's the language like on the show? Oh, uh, whatever you want to say. All right, because I was about close to going there. So <laughs> we'll get that in later. So we, uh, they get me in the back, and Jerry comes up and meets me and uh, poses for a couple of pictures, signs me my first autograph I ever got that said, To my pal Kenny, uh, Jerry, and then King, uh, above uh, Jerry and then Lawler, and he looped his Y and his L. And I thought that was the coolest autograph I'd ever seen, and it was very clear. He took the time to, to write it, and he, and he always signed his autographs very legibly. So from that point on, when I went to high school, I would type my, write my name Kenny, K-E-N-N-Y, only I have a K built in my name, so I would go I-N-G, to where Lawler had to spell the whole king, and he drew the crown above the I. So I connected the K in Kenny, wrote I-N-G above Kenny, put a crown over the I, and then I would loop my Y into an R because at that time my name was Kenny Risen. That was my adopted name at, at Oldham County High. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I kept that name till I was about 24. And then when I broke in pro wrestling, I switched it to my birth certificate name of Kenny Bowling because I wanted that family to get all the credit for any success I was going to have. And I, I figured I'd do okay. Um, didn't get the worldwide fame, but then again, I kind of did through managing all the guys that got worldwide fame. And I would say so. WWE Network and and uh, guest appeared on a couple of Raws and, and bit parts and shit like that. So yeah. I kind of got it. Um, and I, I know I wouldn't change a thing. That's for damn sure. Everything worked out pretty good. <clears throat> but uh, so that's how I started signing my name. And uh, and I remember my science teacher was the only one that called me out on it. She says, "Kenny the King, huh? King of what?" I said, wrestling, that's why. And she said, wrestling. She says, you're in science class. I said, yeah, but when I'm done, I'm going to be a professional wrestler, and I'm going to be one of the best there ever is. I said, when Jerry Lawler's ready to step down, I'm going to take his – so I'm practicing promos. I'm practicing <laughs> getting people to hate me. I love I am it. One of the, I am one of the most hated people in Oldham County High, and I didn't give a shit. That's what I wanted. My true friends knew what I was doing, and I remember when Jerry Lawler started the King's Army, I started the King's Army. And I had 54 people, in it, which is ironic because that's how many people I sent to the WWE. Absolutely. But 54, but 54 people. So it was weird how that worked out. 54 people signed up to join the King's Army in high school. I'm going back to 1977, 78, 79. And uh, 
I the, the people that I thought either were loyal to me and would never turn on me in a million years could be a member, or if I thought they might be tougher than me, I wanted them with me. <laughs> That's Smart logic. It's like, it's like Lawler with Plowboy Frazier and then these big giants that, that he would sign. Well, Absolutely. if I can't beat them, we'll, we'll make them part of the King's Army. Let's do that. So, or at least for the perception of television. So, um, but yeah, that's how I started signing my name. And then, uh, so we're supposed to be how I got in. So Jimmy Cornette gets uh, an opportunity to get an interview with Jerry Jarrett. And he always promised me that he and I were going to get an interview at the same time. Okay. I'll lay the groundwork. I'll get me and you an interview with Jerry Jarrett. And, and Kenny, we're going to set the world on fire. Now, he's going to tell you this is a lie, but he's full of shit. <laughs> so um, I get a, I didn't have a, I didn't have a landline telephone back then. My sister had jacked the bill to the moon, Ooh. calling one county over that she didn't know was long distance. We had like an eleven hundred dollar phone bill, so Ooh, we didn't have a phone. Bloody, yeah, not in nineteen seventy, uh, not in the nineteen seventies, and uh, and it's about eighty or eighty one, and uh, and I never did get a landline back at that time again because I had to wait till I had a job to get one in my own name. So um, I go down to the phone booth and, and talk to Jimmy, and he got his interview with Jerry Jarrett. And I said, uh-huh, well, that's great. I said, well, what about me? He says, well, I'm going to get in first, and I'm going to lay the groundwork. And uh, I said, you going to be a wrestler or a manager? Because Jimmy wanted to be a wrestler. And he says, no, I'm going to start out wrestling. And, and he says, but I'm going to lay the groundwork. And then, uh, now I'm going to start out managing. And he says, I'm going to lay the groundwork, bring you in as a wrestler, and me and you are going to set the world on fire. He says, by the time I bring you in, he says, maybe – Jerry said he's going to retire when he's 35. Well, I would have been, God, I guess about 22 by the time Jimmy got me in. So Lawler had been around three more years. So that was the plan. And, well, seven years goes by, and I'm still not in. It's always not the right time, or the business is down. Well, we already have this, and we already got that. And there's always a reason that I could. Because Bill Dundee told me, like, two years ago, he says, Kenny, I rode up and down the roads with Jimmy all the time. He said, I heard 100 stories about you. Never once did he ever say you had a desire to get in wrestling. Why didn't you tell me I would have got you in? I said, well, I was connected with Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Cornette. I didn't think I needed any more help. That should have been enough. <laughs> so uh, to, to end the long-ass story about how I got in, I'm at Service Merchandise returning an audio receiver. I didn't like the sound on it. I wanted a Pioneer with Dolby Digital Sound, which was just coming out. Um, or uh I don't know if it was 5.1 Dolby. No, it wasn't 5.1 yet. They didn't even have subwoofers yet. But it was Dolby, it was Dolby Stereo instead of Matrix and bullshit fake-ass stereo. So I'm in line to return my receiver, and I look behind me about six, seven people back, and I see Nick Goulas standing in line at Service Merchandise in Nashville. I doubt those exist anymore. Nope. So, so my uh, wife at the time is with me. This is 1987. My son has just been born. I stepped to the back of the line. I said, hey, I said, Mr. Goulas, I said, I hope it's not out of step for me to come back here and introduce myself. But uh, my name is Kenny Boland, and uh, I'm uh, very good friends with Jim Cornette and Jerry Lawler. And I just wanted to introduce myself and say hi to you. I've been a fan of uh, watching you on television from when I was like 10 years old. I said, it's such a thrill to meet you. Well, hello, there, Kenny Bowen, and he's going into the whole Nick Goulas thing. Uh, <laughs> Kenny, uh, are you part of the wrestling business? I said, no, sir. I said, no, uh, they, they've never gotten me in yet. I said, I'd love to be a part of it. Well, Kenny, what would you like to do? I said, well, I'd like to manage or maybe be a ring announcer. I said, I used to think I'd want to be a wrestler. I said, but Jerry Lawler don't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon. I said, so instead of being the king of wrestling, I'd kind of like to be the king of managers or the king of commentators or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this way, well, why don't you, Kenny, I'm getting ready to start a brand new company here, go WOW Wrestling. 
we're going to be starting in the very near future. He says, why don't you, uh, why don't you work for me? I said, really? So I'm thinking I've hit the big time. I'm thinking the big money's just around the corner. And he says, um, he says, so I'll make you the next Jerry Lawler in this territory. I said, well, I, I told you, Nick, I said, I don't really want to be a wrestler. I said, but I would like to be a commentator and manager. Well, like you said, I'll make you the king of managers. I'll make you the king of king of commentators, whatever it is you want to do. Hell, you might do both. I said, okay. I said, well, let's do that. So I, I gave him a number. He called me when he was ready me, for me to come down and do our first interviews, which is on YouTube. If you look up Kenny Boland, George Goulas, Nick Goulas, you'll see my first ever on-camera interview. And I'll well, put a link was, to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, so that was one take. And, uh, and we get to the end of it. And uh, I, I love it. That was great, Kenny. I said, well, I, I can do better. I said, I didn't like how that ended, and I got a couple other things I think we can do better. No, Kenny, that was just fine. I, that was a perfect interview. Don't you worry about that. That's just fine. And uh, we're going to book you. You're going to manage Tojo Yamamoto in Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, against Gypsy Joe. I said, well, Ooh. I know both of those. I said, I know both of those, man. And uh, he said, we might have you doing all kinds of things that night. You're going to be a multi-talented man in this organization. We might have you timekeeping refereeing uh, uh uh ring announcer uh you might do you might do a lot of things that night so in other words he didn't have much help that he thought he could get right. a cheap rate man of many hats so, so he, he agreed to pay me 75 dollars a show that was the agreement so i'm thinking i'm going to get 75 dollars for every job i do i did not referee that night but i did time keep i did ring announce and i did manage so i'm thinking i'm getting to uh, 75 225 that's what i think i'm getting right so during tojo's match i held his watch he had a uh, a beautiful seiko watch and uh, we get to the end of the show and all of a sudden in birmingham alabama there's no money for kenny bowling boys are getting their payouts and i ain't i noticed ain't nobody getting 75 dollars oh. we had about three we had about three or four three or four hundred people at the birmingham uh um armory uh, the armory there mm-hmm. and i I'm, I'm seeing a lot of 20 dollar payouts and, and maybe 30 or 40 to a couple of the bigger names and ain't nobody getting 75 dollars so i get to the end of it well kenny we kind of ran out of money there tonight why don't you come over to my home and i'll get to, i'll settle up with you something like, oh well he doesn't want to pay me in front of everybody because i book <laughs> the buildings i do the interviews i ring and i do everything he don't want to embarrass these big names because he wants to pay me in private where they don't see how much money i'm getting okay that's cool so I go over to Nick's house. Of course, Nick ain't home. I go back to Nick's house again. Nick ain't home. George is answering the door all the oh, time. Oh, boy. So the third time I go there, well, Daddy's not here. I said, well, I said, Daddy told me to come back here to get paid. I said, Daddy owes me $225. And I said, I, I, my wife is uh, telling me I need to get paid or I'm going to have to quit. I said, so I don't know who you got booking your buildings and doing your ring announcing and doing your television interviews and commentating on your show. But you're going to have to find somebody else if I don't get paid. I said, do you by any chance have $225? No, Kenny, I don't have that kind of cash on me right now. He says, but Daddy, Daddy will probably be back tomorrow. And I look in the background, and I see Nick Goulas walk behind George in a robe. <laughs> he had just gotten out of the shower. So. I said, well, I got news for us. Daddy's back early. I said, because he just walked behind you in a bathrobe. I said, tell him I need to see him now. So he said, oh, well, Daddy must have just come in. I said, yeah, Daddy just came in, took a shower, and you didn't know about it. Because I, I was a smart ass back then. And I didn't like being fucked around with. Understandable. So Nick, so Nick comes to the door and he said, well, wouldn't I agree with $75? I said, yeah. I said, but I did three jobs. I, well, Kenny, it don't work that way. I said, well, that was the way I was led to believe it was going to work because I got $75. Well, Kenny, that'd make you the highest paid man in the company. I said, well, I work harder than anybody else in the company. I book the buildings. I do the interviews. I do the managing. I do the I said, who else is working harder than me? Everybody else does one job. I had a bunch of jobs. 
So he basically settled out of court with me instead of 225. I think I got 150. Took me several trips to get it. Gab wasn't happy about that because, as far as she was concerned, I got fucked out of seventy five dollars. Right, right. And uh, and Nick probably thought he got fucked out of seventy five. So that was as good as the negotiation as I could come up with. But Nick is who got me in the wrestling business, and I stayed with him until he died. Uh, he passed away when I was visiting Jimmy at the Louisville Gardens, and somebody backstage got word that Nick had passed away. So I found out at the Louisville Gardens. When Jimmy was managing uh, Stan Lane and Steve Kern, the fabulous ones, that Nick had passed away. And then I was also backstage at the Louisville Gardens when I found out George Gulas had been arrested on soliciting a prostitute in Nashville back in the late 80s, early 90s. Well, I've been the early 90s. (laughs) And uh, so it was uh, very interesting. And then then Tojo uh, committed suicide, which Mm. I found out at the Louisville Gardens. Every time something bad happened, I was at the goddamn Louisville Gardens. So we need to keep you away from the Louisville Gardens. And Tojo committed suicide because he went through a divorce, and his wife took a second restaurant from him. And uh, so that that was pretty tough. Man. So, yeah, so I should have quit going to Louisville Gardens. Maybe somebody might have lived, not got arrested, or died, or killed themselves. So I got to ask, in the middle of all that and the crazy circumstances surrounding the gardens, when yeah. you get broken in that way and you have to make those multiple trips to Nick Goulas' house to get your money, and it's still not you know like what you thought it was going to be, your wife thinks you got fucked over and right. she's telling right. you to quit, how do you continue or want to continue to chase the wrestling dream, be the king of managers, be the king of commentators? How do you want to keep going through that when you're already well, starting off with all these headaches and hassles? Well, actually, I'd kind of, uh, once uh, Nick had died, Tojo committed suicide, George had arrested for soliciting prostitute, I stepped back, and I thought pretty much the dream was over. Right. right? And I was a hell of a salesperson. I uh, was a very good salesperson for a company called Royal Prestige. I mean, I, I could make $1,000 a week anytime I wanted there was also the Kroger W Money Back Meat Opportunity, as Jimmy <laughs> called it, which was converted into the quadruple your money back meat opportunity. And uh, allegedly, allegedly, I could make $500 a day anytime I wanted. Woo. That is huge motherfucking money in 1987, 88, 89, and 90. Allegedly, assuming that really happened. There is a book. I know you're... I know your redneck fans don't have video, but uh, there's a copy of the book right there. If this was video, you could see the book right now. I'll make it easy, okay. and I'll put that link in the show notes as well, so they there can they can brush there up and learn go. how to you read with that. that. I didn't mean to call all your friends rednecks. It's probably only 90% of them. So um, <laughs> we'll separate that other 10%. That is Trump territory down there. Oh, Holy shit, I can't even believe I agreed to do this. Funny, funny story, though. Oddly enough, he was just in Nashville this past Friday. I, and... I saw that. I saw he was back in, in uh, my son's hometown again. Yep, and lo and behold, uh, a certain podcast host was doing security detail along with Secret Service for him. So that yeah. was a very interesting 48 hours. Ooh. Yeah, plus, uh, plus uh, um, goddamn uh, Jerry Lawler, uh, the first time that he was on camera with Trump. He was sitting behind uh, Trump in Nashville with a no big joke. smile on his face and happy to be there. And Jerry said he got death threats for even being seen behind Trump. That really? Was avalanche was starting to roll downhill for Trump. And uh, and Jerry's still a diehard Trump supporter, but he, he don't try to make it too public anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know at one oh, point... His, pro, his profile picture used to be with Trump, yep. him and Trump together. That was it right there, yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he made no so, bones well, about I mean, it. If you don't want that trouble, don't post that, pro, that profile picture. It'd be my, my right, advice. Right, right. That's, and, that's a smart um, move. Well, there you go. So, um, so uh, 
So what? What all did? What now? They had that thing. Didn't Mike Pence eventually show up at the same thing that? Uh, that that I don't know of. I do know that they had Ted Cruz um, and several other high profile an all star of assholes. Pretty <laughs> much, pretty everywhere. much. But I will say that after the time, I don't my, care where you are politically. Any guy that leaves the state when it gets cold and goes to Cancun and says some of the stupid shit Ted Cruz does, I don't care where you align politically. That guy is just a blithering fucking idiot. Supposedly to have a goddamn Harvard degree. Um, he must have bought and paid for it like Trump did. It's the only thing I can figure. And I mean, uh, just on top of that, too, if you let somebody publicly degrade your wife and you don't make any effort to stand up yeah. and defend her honor, that that should yeah. say it all you're, right you're, there. You're, you're, you're now not even as tough as a jellyfish because a jellyfish probably has a little bit of a spine in there somewhere, and you obviously do not. Um, Bingo. I mean, whatever whatever you want to say about Will Smith, at least he thought he was defending his wife's honor. Absolutely. It's more, more than Ted Cruz did. Oh, now if we could get that on a political stage, I think that would probably break the internet. But well, I'll keep I'll keep wishing on that one. One of these days. <laughs> so, getting uh, getting back to the wrestling side of it, you know, you said you took the break after uh, Tojo suicide and after uh, George got arrested, Nick passed mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. Did that break eventually lead to you coming back to uh, IWA Mid South later in the nineties? Actually, not at that point. Um, actually, what happened there? was um jim Cornette decided to start smoking out wrestling okay um he had um had his differences with wwe and and uh and he had uh, left wcw or fire i mean whoever I mean, whatever story you want to believe uh, he wasn't working there no more right right regardless and um so jim Cornette comes to my house i guess it's 91 92 and lets me know he's getting this project of uh, smoky mountain wrestling going he played me the video of the opening Played it on a videotape in my house and uh, t- asked me what I think, and this is where I'm going to get going. He says, as a matter of fact, you might be able to help me out on these shows from time to time. He didn't offer me a managerial job, uh, but he did offer me to come down and do ring announcing, uh, a little backstage production here and there, and uh, just just more or less be a flunky and a ring announcer, more or less, <laughs> is what he offered me. And I said, well, hey, it's kind of a, a foot back inside the wrestling business, and gets me in the door and then uh, so i did those and i'd go down and do those shows from time to time and uh, barberville kentucky and knoxville tennessee mm-hmm. johnson city and got to, to meet uh, the gangsters uh, quite a few times oh and, yeah uh, and and uh hawk of the road warriors and uh dan severin i met there for the first time oh, so i, I former guest on this show uh rick and robert gibbs uh, rick morton and robert gibson i got to be pretty close friends with them uh, uh chris jericho and and uh and lance storm oh yeah uh and and al snow so i, I developed a lot of relationships down there mm-hmm. and then uh dennis corluza and i had become friends uh somehow some way and he's um he had me in 1997 come and manage five matches at the eddie gilbert memorial and jimmy was the booker of it so jimmy booked me in those five matches and and just basically had me getting heat on the TV stations I was on because now I'm I'm working for Danny Davis and IWA and I did that as a favor for Dennis Corluza. Right. Corluza really liked my work. He was one of the big dogs in NWA at that time. I can't remember if he was president or not, but he 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 was a big deal in NWA. So uh, so Corluza was very impressed with what I was doing with with Ian Rotten's IWA shows. I didn't really like being there and wanted out. Danny Davis knew that, so Danny Davis hired me. So I was working both companies. So I was on every Saturday night on two television stations. I was on the Big 58, 
and I was on the Fox 41. So when they booked me in Philadelphia, I would go out and brag about what a big TV star I was. Yeah. You guys are nothing. You guys are on cable. Who the hell watches cable? Who the hell wants to pay money to watch cable? I'm on broadcast television. I'm on the Big 58. I'm also on the Fox 41. And I'm making the TV stations out to be the big deal and the heat getters. You can stick an antenna out your window and watch me. you got to buy cable to see these other clowns. They're not good enough to be on broadcast television. Broadcast <laughs> TV is where you want to be. When the ratings are huge, it's broadcast television. When, when, the, when the networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, Fox, when they broadcast you, that's a big deal. Who gives a shit what's on USA and TN? Uh, what was the country? TNN? TNN. That's yep. what ECW was on at that time. They were on the Nash, the Nashville Network. How? Give me a show on the hands. How many? What, five of you? What's <laughs> TNN? The Nashville Network. Come on, guys. I oh, used to man. live in Nashville. Ain't nobody watching the Nashville Network, and nope. especially to watch wrestling. And the and USA. You got to name your channel after the country so somebody might remember it. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm on the Fox Network. I am on uh, the CW or the WB. I think it was the WB. WB at that time. Yes, sir. So so before the night was over, the chant was Big 58 sucks. Half the arena go Big 58. Other half go, Fox 41 sucks. So I get to the back. Jimmy says, I've never seen anybody that gets heat on two local television stations that these people have no idea what is. He said, nobody in here has ever seen either one of these channels, and they've got all the heat. They're first pissed that, you're, that they actually let you on these channels. So we had a ball, and uh, and, and Jimmy and Corluza then, he said, you went in there with all these smart marks. The, the capital of smart marks is in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And then the smart of the smart marks are these ECW fucks, and they bought your shit. They hate you. And he did, you don't know how hard that is to do. They could have chewed you up and spit you out, but you actually got heat with those stupid motherfuckers. And that was Jimmy <laughs> speaking. And he says, so you you just proved tonight you can do anything. If you can get heat with those motherfuckers the first time you ever step in front of them, and you can get heat on local fucking television stations, that, that's a talent, uh, Kenny. Absolutely. And, uh, so one of the nicer things Jimmy ever said to me, by the way. So, so that um, – Gave me a lot of confidence because I knew I could step into any building anywhere and get heat if I needed it, and uh, which you normally do. And uh, so eventually I left Ian. Uh, I told Dan, uh, Danny had called me, and he says, Kenny, what would it take for me to get you over here full time and get you away from Ian? And so I was about to talk to you about that because now they want me to participate in King of the Death matches. Oh. And they want me to take a bump into a fucking tank full of piranha that ain't going to happen. Oh, no. He says, well, he says, that, that works out good for both of us because I didn't want you to be associated with those uh, dickheads over there. Absolutely he said, not. So uh, come on down and talk to me. He says, we're going to make it worth your while to be here. He says, I know you're a hell of a salesman. We need somebody selling advertising around here. He says, what percentage did you make selling cookware? I said, 34%. He said, well, you work for me for 30 I said, well, any money I bring you is going to be found money. So if I work for 50%, you should take it. I said, but we'll start out at 30 so he said Absolutely. that was fine, and uh, so I'm selling the uh, advertising on the show. We got four banners hanging on the show, bringing in about five grand a month. I'm getting thirty percent of that. Not bad. And then I start booking the personal appearances once we sign the WWE contract. So if I book Steve Austin for ten grand to sit at an autograph table with Paul Miller Ford or whoever, Star Ford, whoever the case may be, 
I get 30% of that. If I book Big Show for five grand, I get 30% of that. If I book Mark Henry for five grand, I get 30%. If I book the Hardy Boys for 10 grand or eight grand, whatever it was, 75, I get 30%. So when you book enough of those and they're coming to the Louisville Gardens four times a year, and then whenever we do Freedom Hall shows, they're handing me 2,000 WWE tickets to pass out to sponsors and schools and shit like that to make sure we fill the upper deck. And we're doing that three times a year. Well, fuck, I ain't giving them away. Absolutely not. Can't ain't giving those goddamn to, Well, to the schools, I will. Yeah. But businesses and, and, and people, you know, how, how much are, well, if you wanted to buy four tickets to go to WWE, what would it cost you? Oh, oh maybe uh, anywhere from 100 to $200. That's what I tell you what. Why don't you pay, why don't you pay me 100 and I'll give you eight tickets? Absolutely. I got 2000 Whew. I got to oh oh shit yeah take all your friends hundred dollars you can have eight tickets Kenny and, give me uh, just one yeah, second so, I think I got somebody I think I got a sick child out here just one moment go right ahead go right ahead so when WWE is coming to the towns uh, three times a year in the Louisville uh, uh, well mainly of uh, uh, Freedom Hall uh, we hadn't done Yum Center at that time mm-hmm. and they're giving you two thousand to twenty five hundred tickets to pass out. Uh, I could go to my son's school, give away 300 tickets. I could give away a couple of hundred to various other schools or, or um, uh, handicap centers, places like that, to give these people a chance to go. Well, you still got 1,800 to 2,000 tickets left. And, yeah. uh, but the thing was, the WWE wanted asses and seats. They weren't going to keep giving you the tickets if they were going to hand out 2,000 and only 500 people showed up. So I know they were giving them to me and one other guy. One other guy got uh, who uh, I don't like him, so I won't mention his name. He's a piece of shit. Right, right. So he's passing out tickets, and he's getting a return rate between 36 and 40%. Well, on my returns, I was getting anywhere from 92 to 97% on Ooh, attending the show. that's a big difference. And, and I was pissed because I, I put the fear of God in him. I said, now, they're going to know if you don't show up. If I'm giving you these tickets, they better fucking get used because if you don't use them, they're not going to give them to me to pass out anymore. And this is a nice treat for me to be able to give people. Plus, I make a few bucks. Absolutely. So don't fuck this, so don't fuck this up. If I'm going to give them to you, you got to use them or put them in the hands of somebody that will. So that only told me that somewhere between 3 and 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 8% of the people I gave them to weren't scared enough to use those <laughs> tickets or actually had a legit reason not to use right, them. So. Right, right. They were thrilled with my returns because the other guy was only, like I said, he, he wasn't even cracking 40-something percent. Mm. And, and I'm getting it. And, and they went, well, what's Kenny doing? And, uh, well, uh, and when people pay for them, they'll use the goddamn thing. If I just give them to them, they might not go. Yeah. But if you've got 100 bucks wrapped up in those tickets, you're going to use them. That's the truth. I mean, if you put that hard-earned money, you know, yeah. and it's, it's like something William Regal said my first time as an extra. It's like you have to have – something they want to want to spend that money to take a yeah. whole family to that event. And especially with what you're offering too, man, like you can't, you can't beat that. No, no. And it was a great situation. So you get that going on three times a year. You've got all the personal appearances I booked and everything. And I've seen people say, there ain't no way Bowling was making the equivalent of a hundred grand a year. She was probably more than that, to be honest with you. Absolutely. Never paid for a car, never paid for food. Uh, didn't even pay rent during all that time because Ooh. I'm renting out my home to the WWE guys. I'm making money for having a house. Yeah. I had a house that would house about four or five uh, people. And, uh, and I rented all the rooms out and hell, I was making a hell of a profit off my house. I would, cause I had satellite in every room cause dish network was a sponsor on our show. So if I needed seven rooms to have satellite in them, I had, I had 13 satellite dishes in my house 
six in the basement, so I, we, we turned it into Sports Center so we could watch all the wrestling, baseball, basketball, football. Oh, man, that's the and dream. I had, uh, I had 32 televisions in my house uh, over on Fairground Road. Wow. Satellite receivers going to, God, I guess 13 or 14 of them. I remember Dish Network told me I had more satellite receivers than anybody uh, under one house that was not some type of certified business. Yeah. They said, no, they said, I think, I think five is like the record and you've got uh, 13 or 14, uh, depending what it was at that time. Dang. So, uh, so I had a great setup and I charged them a flat rate. I charged them a flat rate of 450 a month to live there. Well, my goddamn house, my house rent was only 750. Because uh, I got a great deal on it from the landlord that lived there. She was an old high school friend of mine. So they're thinking I'm paying two or three grand to live in this big ass house. I'm paying like seven fifty, and then I'm charging five people four fifty. So I ain't paying for electric. I ain't paying for rent. Uh, I'm paying little of anything for food in the house, and then I'm eating free at any restaurant I go to because I'm on television. And I say, hey, here's some tickets. You know, take care of me. Here's some WWE tickets. Whenever I come in here, I eat free. But I'll make sure you have WWE tickets every time they come to town or OVW TV passes or whatever. So I negotiated for everything. I didn't pay for shit. And that was a very, very easy time. And um, so for people that want to shit on that, well, well, no, they didn't cut me a check for a hundred grand a year. But with what I was able to make through personal appearances, um, wrestling tickets and selling advertising on the show. I created every dollar I had. OVW yeah. didn't have to cut me anything. And then eventually, uh, they wanted WWE paying me some money to make up for uh, new medications I had to start taking later in life. So uh, WWE was paying me, uh, well, not me directly, but they had a supplemental check cut to where Danny could pay me $1,000 a month to pay for my uh, expenses for medications and, and, wow. and driving to and from the shows and shit like that. So Yeah. It was a pretty good situation. I would say so, too. I mean, like, the the grind and the hustle and just the drive through all that is what really speaks volumes. Yeah. There wasn't anybody else that could do it or would do it. Uh, plus, I got uh, big bonuses for booking Six Flags. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, for creating the Six Flags account, um, signing the car lots and stuff like that up. Now, I had one guy try to steal the Six Flags account from me, but uh, we found out who actually negotiated the deal and then who started getting the money. Um, we also had, um, um, you know, the sponsorships, uh, depending on how good television was going, we could raise those prices from time to time. We started out at 1250 a banner, but eventually we got to where we could have eight banners on a show instead of four once we moved to the new building. So you, you could write your check, but, uh, you know, it, it takes a special talent to be able to do that. And most oh, people yeah. don't have the talent to do it. To walk into WHS radio and sell Stone Cold Steve Austin to them for ten or twenty grand, uh, where he's getting a check for seventy grand or whatever the hell he's getting to appear at the Louisville Gardens, and then um, they're they're paying to have him set at an autograph table for an additional ten grand, uh, twenty grand, whatever the case would be, depending wherever we was booking him at. Right. And uh, right. I mean, like I said, it was a uh, Daddy didn't give a fuck. I was writing my own checks. Wasn't coming out of his pocket. Exactly. Now, when he would actually have to convert that, he said, do you know how much it kills me to have to give you this? I said, you know how much it would kill you not to get the 70% you're keeping? And I said, anytime you're not happy with it, I can make that 70% go away and I can go do it for somebody else. <laughs> so we never had to come to that. Right. And I mean, in fact, I have to send him a, a birthday wish here uh, pretty soon. I got to get the video in by the 22nd. So oof, that's coming need up. To remember to do that. Yeah. That's- time's a ticking. That's it. But man, it's it's such a special time that you guys were doing all that in with OVW and 
the who's who of wrestlers and performers that we named off earlier in the show, man, like you were right there attached to them. Their name was tied to yours and you were the king. You were the star maker because like you said, you sent so many people onto WWE, but during that time too, like just out of curiosity, there's always been that stigma of, you know, like certain talents do better in developmental or do better somewhere else. But when they go to WWE or WWF, they're not as successful as people would think they would be. Did you ever have talent that you were involved with that you saw the potential and you saw the the it factor in, but it just didn't translate when they left OVW and went on to WWE? The one that comes to mind, uh, the biggest disappointment as to where it worked out to be, as to where it could have been, would have been Sylvester Turkey. Oh, for sure. Uh, Sylvester Turkey um, was, uh, was great in Japan. Uh, was a championship NCAA wrestler. He was a, uh, I think, uh, did the MMA Muay Thai fighting and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't translating in the WWE the way we thought it was down here. Um, Another team that I did not manage, they were uh, the Roselli's, I think they were. And uh, they were the ones that had the the boas around their neck. Not very big guys. Is the Roselli's the right name? Is that who I'm thinking of? I think I did not manage them, but they got over big as baby faces here, and they were huge here, man. Every time we go to the towns, everybody was having to fit over the Roselli's, and they get up there, and it just didn't work. Um, you would think if it could work here, it could work there, but absolutely uh, the Roselli's, even though I didn't manage them, they were part of the company, and it just didn't work up there. I'm sure somebody can Google it and find it. I'm I sure think they became the heartthrobs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds right. That sounds right. Uh, but well, I think we might even call them it. That here at one point, I think the Roselli's were what they came in as, and uh, I think the heartthrob. So I'm glad you remembered that because I forgot. I'm right, old. right. So, um, but yeah, Sylvester Turkey would have been. Uh, uh, I cried when he got let go. I just couldn't believe it. But as I went back and and looked at it from a perspective, it just wasn't coming off the way they wanted it to. Right. And uh, he had a way of wanting to do things. They had a way they wanted him to do them. And fuck, I might have been a disappointment to WWE because I don't like being told what to do. I definitely don't like being told how to be Kenny Bowen. And uh, and even Cornette told me, he says, you wouldn't last two weeks up there. Well, I think I would have because I lasted 17 years in OVW being mouthy and standing up for what I thought was right and not letting anybody dick me over. Yep. Um, now, maybe in the WWE, I wouldn't have had as much leeway to do that. But if Jimmy can survive up there, and uh, I certainly get along with people better than he does, I'm uh, uh, less <laughs> less less frictional. Uh, if I'm making up a term, a little less friction dealing with me than there is with Jimmy. And plus, I don't think I hung the fucking moon, and it's not my way or the highway. I will give you a chance to talk me out of something or to let me see another perspective. Jimmy is quite a, a different view on that. Normally, his way or the highway. Right, uh, right. Now, he would, in private, he would admit if I was right on something. Well, I like that. That's a good idea. You wouldn't hear that translated anywhere else outside of his <laughs> home or my home. But, uh, you know, in private, you could talk him out of something. In public, it was very difficult. Absolutely. And that's why him and Russo had so many problems. And that's why Russo got two jobs Jimmy didn't get. TNA come down to picking Jimmy or Russo. They picked Russo. WWE came down to a situation to pick Jimmy or Russo, and they picked Russo. Because he was far less confrontational and easier for the boys to get along with. And that's just how it works. I mean, what? but what's strange now, both of them appeared to have been blackballed from wrestling. I know Russo would like to be involved with one of the big companies right now, and no one's reached out to offer him anything. Right. Because there's so, there's so many people that believe the stigma 
that Jimmy attached to Russo. I personally like Russo. And Jimmy has said so much racist shit, uh, homophobic shit, uh, recorded saying the N-word 16 times didn't help him any. And uh, it would be pretty pretty toxic to bring Jimmy into any of those companies right now. Yeah. uh, if, If ever. And um, I, I think the door was cracked for AEW there for a bit. They might have had the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and some people maybe talked into it. I can't imagine they did, but I, I've heard from the inside. that. Uh, and then Jimmy uh, said some more racist, homophobic shit. And, and uh, I think and that was the NWA ordeal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when that happened, that kind of killed the deal with AEW. But I will be the first to tell you. If they could calm Jimmy down and get him to quit saying racist and homophobic shit all the time and talking bad about Muslims and bisexuals Mm. and Kenny Omega and all this shit, if they could ever get him to quit doing that shit, uh, and the other thing is you got to get people to forget he said it and to bring him in and have him manage uh, that Midnight Express wannabe team over there. I forget their name. I think uh, Uh, FTR maybe yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. they actually come out to the old wcw version of the midnight express music man i gotta get back to paying attention jimmy loves that uh but if they brought him in to manage them against the young bucks they not that they don't sell out already but uh it would be some entertaining television oh for sure high rating television i'd be the first to tell you that but how long before he says the wrong thing to the wrong person Sure. And there are certain people over there that ain't going to tolerate it. And I don't think the Young Bucks think it's necessary to have him there. I don't think Kenny Omega feels that way. Cody does, ain't got no use for him. He's uh, If you haven't noticed, Cody's married to a black woman. And then Jimmy's recorded saying the N-word multiple times. So Done I help. don't think Cody would. And I think Cody had other heat with him over something else. I forget what it was. Uh, you know, um, I know if I was married to a black girl and Jimmy said those things, I was I had a Filipino girl that was Asian. That was my girlfriend, and I remember Jimmy asking me how big her penis was because she was Asian. He assumed she had a penis. Said it on his fucking podcast. Good and, lord! But he's just—he's just got some shit planted in his head that he just can't get rid of. It's like that uncle that you can't deprogram. And I've known Jimmy forever, and I, I used to care the world for him. I cared more for Jimmy than I did my brother. But he's one of these people that's just going to say stupid shit and. Like you do with your uncle or your stepdad or whoever, you make excuses and excuses and excuses. Yeah. And then eventually it just gets out of hand and now nobody will hire him. Don't believe for a fucking minute that he's trying to tell you that he's retired because he wants to be. He's retired because he has no other options. Yeah, there's a cult out there that will listen to his podcast. Why? Because they're entertained by that shit. They're entertained by the racist, homophobic shit. And he's saying the shit they wish they could say publicly and get by with. And it's like I tell my friends that they're always wanting to send me clips. I said, hey, I can unblock him and listen to any of this shit if I want to. I don't want to. I've listened to this shit even when I was doing his shows. And they only, <laughs> I didn't listen to the shows when I wasn't doing them. I didn't have to listen to them after I'd done them because I know what I said. I know what's on the goddamn show. Um, but if you're entertained by that, that, that's a problem for me with you. Because, uh, well... Uh, I support Trump for this reason or that reason. Yeah, but he said he had the right to grope pussies. He's fucked over. Uh, he ran a slumlord in New York with his father fucking over blacks. He said he didn't want anybody counting his money unless they were Jewish. I said he's just, and that's just the minor shit. Yeah. Just the shit that I knew back in the 80s and 90s. Why would you want to associate? Why do you want to put your name next to a person like that? And And eventually it came to the point with Jimmy that I just, you know, 
if if you're going to support him, then then you're 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 condoning this shit. And there came to a point that it was time that you can't condone it. Absolutely. You know, we we, we uh, <laughs> me and my son in law, uh, my son and my daughter in law, had all had talks with him, tried to educate him of what shit you cannot say. Uh, talking bad about Muslims. I remember he was talking uh, at a restaurant once that that they smell bad. And my son had to correct him and say, no, no, this group of people you're talking about take multiple baths a day. (laughs) Whatever you want to say about them, they smell bad, can't be, you're going to have to come up with something else Mm -hmm. because that's not. And it's just, but I've got so many people that listen to my show that still support and listen to him, buy his merchandise because they are entertained by that shit. And if you're entertained by that, I feel bad for you. Right. Uh, do not, do not, in, do not encourage bad behavior, or sick behavior, or racist behavior, or homophobic. You got this congressman today. I, I think he's either running for Congress or Senate, and he's got he's got a gun, <clears throat> and he's advertising going out and hunting rhinos. No tag limit. No death limit. We're hunting rhinos, and he's got his big gun, and he's got a tactical team with him. So, and in, in, in when you deal with mentally challenged people, as we see every day with school shootings and shit like that, when you deal with mentally challenged people, it don't take much to trigger them. Look, look at the riots at the Capitol. No, it wasn't all 74 million of his supporters or however many he had that showed up there to storm the Capitol and kill Pence and Pelosi and AOC, whoever else. But it's a certain deranged few that hear this shit, and it only takes... A few. And in that case, whether you believe Trump that there was 300,000 people there or whether you believe others, there was 30,000. Either way, 30,000 people or 300,000 people overpowered the cops that were there and stormed the Capitol. And they wanted to kill everybody that Trump had a problem with. Right. So when a guy is standing up with a with a rifle saying, let's go hunt rhinos, the mentally challenged and the mentally deranged and the easily manipulated are going to take that seriously. Oh, he wants me to kill a rhino. The 10 people that impeached Trump that were Republicans, those are right. He wants me to kill them. Well, don't talk to people that way. Because I can assure you that if I put out a hit list on people I didn't like, I have enough fans that would say, well, Kenny wants this guy dead. Kenny wants this guy crippled. So I don't talk like that. I don't don't wish anything death or bad or anything horrible on my so-called enemies. Because I get over them, fuck them. They can move on. Absolutely. If you block me, move on. I don't. I'm not going to stalk you. Wish the fuck you quit stalking me. Because it just means that I've, you're the jilted lover. You can't get over that I'm not in your life anymore. Yep. But I'm not going to sink to your level. I'm not going to wish you dead. I'm not going to make a T-shirt of me pissing on somebody's grave, Jimmy. What a what a shit bag to do something like that. But he made money off from it. And his mentally challenged fan base bought into that. And they all, you don't own that shirt, do you? No. Well, I didn't think you did. That's why I asked. So, yeah, if that's if that's what entertains you, then fuck you. You know, stay away from me. You're, you're people I don't need anywhere near me. All right, so let's talk about something else. <laughs> so I, that, that kind of mentality actually answers, probably answers my next question, but when you, you know, when you managed that who's who in OVW, you know, Cornette was there, Paul Heyman was there. You sent yeah. a who's who up to the main roster. Was right. there ever a talk of you going up to the main roster with somebody or being a full-time WWE talent? Not really. The closest that ever came was Lagana, uh, one of the head writers. Does that name yep, Dave Lagana? Dave, 
Yeah. Dave Lagana come to me, and this is and, and anytime I see Money in the Bank briefcase matches, uh, briefcase matches, I think this is a tribute to me. <laughs> of course, some people are going to try and shit on that. But Lagana come up to me at the end of a TV taping once and told me how much he loved my stuff. He's a goddamn man. That's good shit. He says, I got to get you and that briefcase up to the WWE. I said, well, Jimmy told me I'm not even under consideration. I said, Jimmy has told me, and I said, I kind of heard through other sources other than Jimmy, that Triple H and Stephanie don't even like me and Dean Hill being the announcers. They don't like Southern-style announcers. I said, the problem is we've been here since day one. We know the history of the company. We know everybody that's been through here backwards and forwards. So if we need retrospective commentary, if we need that's shades of um, Rob Conway or whoever, whoever, uh, Juan Hutaro, which is named no one will know, because uh, he was one of the uh, early guys before developmental got going. But the OVW fan, I remember Juan Hutaro. He was there in 96, 97. I, I know uh, Rasputin. Well, these weren't contracted guys, but yeah. if you make that reference, we know the history of the company. We know the history of the company since day one. But Triple H and Stephanie wanted to hire a couple of numb nuts to come in there and do commentary that knew nothing about her product, nothing the and the fan base got very comfortable with me and Dean Hill. When you turned on Ohio Valley Wrestling, we expect to see either Jim Cornette and Dean, and then Jimmy got fired. And then Al Snow stepped in for a few weeks, and then he brought me back to do it <clears throat> after Paul Heyman got fired. <laughs> so uh, I was just waiting for all the big names to get fired, and then I'd come back and do my job. Slide uh, right back then, in. Me and Heyman got along good, but the only vacation I ever took from OVW, Heyman didn't want to use me for what I was good at. He wanted Ken Doan and Bobby Lashley and all these guys to do their own promos because he said they'd need to know how to do it when they got there. I said, but yeah, I do need to be there to enhance it. I said, you got me sitting in the background of a lot of these interviews. Why the fuck am I there? If I'm not going to say a word, I need to be having a conversation with Ken Doan. I need to be having a conversation with Bobby Lashley, giving them instructions, getting feedback from them. Logical To see how they talk. I said, but for me to sit there and do nothing, then why the fuck am I here? So he claimed I wasn't getting it, and I even tried to explain to him, I said, your Philadelphia shit ain't going to work here. Our Memphis shit ain't going to work in Philadelphia. Your base is, is, is developed on one type of wrestling. Our, our wrestling base is developed on another. So I tried to as politely as I could say, your shit ain't going to work here. Our shit wouldn't work there. So, so, so to degrade ourselves as well, not to think our shit would catch on anywhere, because it would. That's why, that's why the territories were a success. It was a different style of wrestling in all those territories. San Francisco, Oregon, uh, Texas, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, New York, uh, Ohio, Michigan. That was every, you, I used to watch all those shows, and they were all very different. And it was a big deal when somebody from that territory showed up in this territory. Yeah. Oh, now who's the king of the territory? Well, guess what? The local territory always emerged victorious. Every Spoiler alert. Every time. Every fucking time. <laughs> But it was always a big payday for the, whether it was Bon Eric coming into Memphis or Lawler going into Texas or whatever the case may be. Um, And I remember watching The Sheik up in Detroit and Ohio. That was some of the early wrestling I was raised on as well. So um, where was I going with all this? What what were we trying to get to? I believe, uh, you know, it was like, were you ever in consideration for, you know, going up Uh, to the main roster? Other than through Dave Lagana, uh, who wanted me there, but a- after it was evident that I wasn't going to, and I never took any offense out of it because listen to the people who were let go or given other shit to do when Jimmy Cornette showed up here. Jimmy wanted out of WWE. They wanted him out. They didn't want mm-hmm. him there. 
Uh, I used to make a joke. I said, Jimmy Cornette got replaced on commentary by Shane McMahon. And Shane was not very fucking good back then. I don't know how he is now, but he wasn't very good back then. I said, when you, and I, as a running joke, I said, you got replaced by fucking Shane McMahon. How much must you suck? <laughs> and uh, and but Jimmy and I can say that rude ass shit to each other and get by with it. So, uh, but that was the running joke. You got replaced by Shane McMahon. Shut the fuck up. Um, but here's, here's everybody they, that was under contract when people were saying, well, I wonder if Kenny's going to get a shot to go to the WWE. They had Paul Heyman and uh, not Paul. Uh, no, I don't, I don't know if Heyman was there. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was. I think Heyman he was. was yeah. So, so you got Paul Heyman, you got Bobby, the fucking brain Heenan. And they threw him out the back door so he could go to WCW. Do you remember when Gorilla threw him out the back yep, door? I sure do. I'm thinking, what a shit way to fuck over a goddamn legend. I mean, just, uh, just, I was furious that that's how they, but they didn't, they didn't want him to have any oomph when he went out the door because they knew he was going to WCW. Right. And uh, so they got Bobby Heenan, Captain Lou Albano. Downtown Bruno, for whatever that's worth. No offense, Bruno. <laughs> and, uh, he, he is in Young Rock. That's more than I got. And uh, Jim Cornette. Um, God, who else? Am I? Paul Heyman. Um, who's the, who, uh, Sir Oliver Humperdinck yep. was up there at that time. Uh, Jimmy Hart. Oh, yeah. So you true, got yeah. all these fucking legends, and none of them are doing anything. None of them. So they're going to bring me in as a manager, and you got Hart, Humperdinck, Albano, Cornette, Bobby Heenan, uh, Paul Heyman. There's six fucking, let's call it the legends of wrestling. <laughs> what are you going to do with me? And how are they going to feel? All right, we're going to give both. And I think I could have made an impact because For I sure. wasn't like any of those guys. It would have been a different thing. Um, so I think an impact could have been made, but it would have been very insulting to the six Hall of Famers. I, well, Jimmy, I don't know if you're going to get there or not because it keeps fucking up. But, um, well, and I don't know if they're going to put Bruno in the managerial Hall of Fame, but uh, you got all these uh, guys that have made big-time money in the WWE, and now we're going to bring in Kenny Bolin, and all these other guys are on the sideline. You want to talk about fucking heat? You think any of those guys would have spoke to me? He's getting a shot, and we're not. Yeah. But Vince didn't like managers. Vince did not like managers. Which I think is fucking real. You, you see uh, how much mileage they got out of Paul Heyman with Roman and Brock Lesnar, didn't you? For sure. Do you, do you think Roman or Brock Lesnar would be any fucking where without Paul Heyman? Not fuck at no, all. Fuck, fuck no, they wouldn't. They lose the they lose the mystique without having that mouthpiece. You can only see the physical yeah. attraction or the car crash so many times before it loses its impact. I'll be the first to tell you, John Cena never needed me. They they I don't even know why they put him with me because it wasn't necessary. I think they could have made Cena the biggest baby face in Ohio Valley wrestling history for sure. But he he knew he was good at being a heel. We knew he was good at being a heel, and that's the direction they went with it. Uh, but he didn't need me. Now, Rico, at that time in, in space, uh, could have used me, and we knew how to play off each other. Cena made more fun of me than he did getting the ultimate use out of me. And uh, and he could have probably even been a bigger heel if he wasn't always making fun of me. But that but he liked making the crowd laugh. Right. Uh, that is something that if I were Cena, I would have changed at that time. Because everyone knew I was an atheist, but I would go to the corner and pray with Rico because he wanted me to. 
And Rico is is a very uh, uh, devout Christian. Yes, sir. So Rico's going over there and praying, and I'm over there, uh, whatever. All right, so I'll get on my knees and pray with Rico. People are like, that atheist motherfucker is over there praying with Rico. This is bullshit. <laughs> and then Rico hugs me and calls me dad. Well, Rico's a, a year and a half younger than me. <laughs> and he's hugging me and calling me dad. So so we knew how to play off each other. Right. Um, and uh, and, I, and I've had some others that were like that. But uh, Rico probably knew the best of how to play off me, how to get the most mileage out of being in bowling services. He knew it better than anybody. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah. like, like you said too, like John Cena, obviously we saw where he's ended up and what he's doing now. Was there ever anybody else that like you had that inkling or you just knew upon that first meeting that they were going to be somebody special, whether it was like a Randy Orton or a Dave Batista, Brock Lesnar. Did anybody like that stand out to you? Or was there somebody that you just thought that guy's never going to go anywhere and just completely proved you wrong in that process well what's uh well i had it happen with some women i just talked about this on my show the other day but obviously anybody watching your shows never watched mine um we'll change the that women the women <laughs> the women that uh i labeled never had a shot at making it because of how they were built and the shit that i thought they would put up with because right. we were talking about we were talking about uh, John Laronitis thumbing through magazines to find women to be uh, a part of the wrestling business. Oh, boy. And, and I don't know that all three of these women were found in the magazine, but they could have been. It was Alicia Fox. And I forget what she wrestled as as OVW. If you can remember that, that would be great. I can't remember. Uh, Not Kelly sure off the top of my head. Oh, yeah. Know that yeah, one, yeah. Uh, Alicia Fox, Kelly Kelly, and Maurice, who ended up marrying The Miz. Mm-hmm. which I don't remember her and the Miz even getting along very good when they were here. And then the next thing I know, they're married. So that Ooh. was wicked. So um, I looked at these three women and I was saying, they're going to be gone in six weeks because Rip Rogers was a tough trainer. He demanded they bump like the men. And if he thought you were fucking up, he'd tell you. He would tell you to get the fuck out of his ring. And he would call the women the C word if they weren't listening and doing what they were told. Ooh. And, uh, and I, I don't think he would deny it. So, um, I said, there's no way in hell. Kelly Kelly's going to be gone. They're not going to make it six weeks. I, yeah. I'm given six weeks in case they're tougher. And I think they are. And I'm looking at those lean bodies. Uh, the, the, there's no, there's not an ounce of fat on Kelly Kelly, Alicia Fox or Maurice and goddamn, look at them. I mean, uh, now Kelly Kelly, uh, went away probably quicker than people wanted her to, but she, she was an impact player though. When she was there. Yeah. Uh, now, now Beth Phoenix, Natalia Neidhart, even though Natalia and I didn't get along real good because she thought I was too rude on commentary to the female wrestlers. My fucking job, thank you. Uh, I told one of the girls she had cellulite thighs, and she didn't. And as a matter, I'll tell you who it was. It, uh, and if you want to find an ounce of cellulite on her now, you're not going to find it, and you couldn't find it then. You know who Serena is, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've never admitted who it was. I've never admitted who it was. But she had another feature that I never pointed out because I didn't want anybody to think that I was degrading that feature. So I said, well, what's the one thing I can say about her that's an obvious fucking lie that'll get heat? I said, look at her in there with all that cellulite on her thighs. Obviously, no cellulite. And she's leaner now than she was then. So, uh, I mean, I'm I'm about ready to make her a ham sandwich right now. I want to put a little (laughs) meat back on her bones. But there was obviously no cellulite on Serena's thighs. Well, Beth Phoenix... And, uh, and especially Natalia Neidhart were furious. Ooh. They were waiting for me after the show. Serena was crying. 
Uh, Beth Phoenix had tears in her eyes. Natalie Nightheart was crying because they all felt so bad for Phoenix at what I'd said about her on the show. God. And the, the, so they're waiting to ambush me when I come back in for the next day of television tapings or whatever it was. I can't believe you said that about her. I'm just, I said, what did I say about you? You said she had cellulite on her thighs. I looked at him and said, does she have cellulite on her thighs? No, obviously not. Thank you. You just made my case for me. Thank you. Oh, you owe her an apology. I said, I don't owe her shit. You're the living proof of it. And well, you need to talk to Danny Davis. We're going to get you fired. I said, well, good. So I go to Danny Davis. Danny doesn't know anything about this. I said, Danny, they're out there losing their fucking minds. That I said that Serena had cellulite on her thighs last week. He said, well, she ain't got no cellulite on her thighs. I said, no shit. I said, but Beth Phoenix is losing her mind. Serena's crying. I feel terrible for, for Serena. But they've got her all amped up. They, he says, Kenny, do me a favor. This is Danny Davis. Kenny, do me a favor. He says, whatever you said about her last week, when you go out there tonight, amp it up about 10 times. He says, just <laughs> let her fucking have it. He says, Jesus Christ, don't they know you're a healer? Hell, I had um, a couple of the guys, uh, I think, and one of them I'm looking to have on my show soon, and I'm going to remind him about what he said. Oh boy! But uh, but he he um, he he was bitching because I was calling some of the guys small, and uh, and and they waited after the show was over to bitch to Al Snow. Kenny Bowen keeps calling us small. He keeps saying we ain't got a chance and shit. And Al's just looking at him like, what the fuck? Okay. And uh, <laughs> he says, Kenny, do you care to tell them why you say that? I said, I can if you want me to. I said, they asked me to stay after the show because they wanted to talk to me. And it was all the little guys on, on the card. And I said, here, I said, let me explain to you the best way I can. I said, I don't even know who's going to win. I don't want to know. I said, but what happens when the little baby face takes on the big heel most of the time around here, thanks to the booking? I said, you little motherfuckers win. So what does it do? I said, when I sit there and I crack jokes about how big you are, and you're going to win the fucking match. And I keep telling the people you ain't got a snowball's chance in hell. Or even if you do lose, it's because the heel cheated. Who's the fucking idiot, guys? It's me, you dumb fucks. It's me. That's the point of it. I'm telling the fans, you little bitty minuscule motherfuckers ain't got a chance. But yet, you're either giving it a hell of a way, we cheated to win, or you fucking won. Yep. How are you not fucking getting this, you little man? And then I'd call him little again. And Al's dying. And uh, But one of them, I think, is supposed to be on my show soon. And I bet he forgot that he bitched about it. <laughs> but I'll never forget that he was the he was the spokes he was the the spokesperson for the for the midgets. And he oh, came up. You lovely. can't say that anymore either. So yeah, right, right. But uh, well, I used to manage a midget, and he didn't have a problem with it. So whenever midgets come to me and say you can't call us that no more, I'll, I'll get on board. Um, <laughs> Uh, Minnie B, Minnie B. My, my 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 mother met Minnie B at my house. He was coming over and he was going to start wearing some of my my stuff on television because he could fucking wear it. So I'm putting him in my vest and and, and we had a, a lunchbox made up to look like my briefcase, which I think you can see behind me. Yes, here. sir. We had a we had a lunchbox made up to look like just like that. So. And my mother uh, brings in some of the grandkids. They're all over visiting, and many bees there, and they're, they're just blown away. So my mother uh, calls us all into the kitchen. She says, the kids want to meet Minnie Bee. 
And I said, okay. I said, well, I said, he wrestles this toad in the MMA. I said, he's a, 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 a he, he fights uh, a midget cage fight, a midget cage fight, and, uh, or whatever I called it. And uh, she says, well, the kids want to come in because they've never met a real live midget before. <laughs> and I look at him. I said, I'm sorry. I am fucking sorry. I said, I didn't bring you here to be a circus. It's okay, Kenny. Don't worry about it. Bring the kids in. We'll have some fun. So we bring in, and, and the kids are like 10 and under. They've never met a live midget, and uh, that's what I'm saying. He said, "I don't, don't worry about it. I don't, don't worry about it." So, he had a good sense of humor about it, and he was uh, one of the nicest guys I ever met. And the fun thing was, is I got to turn on him on OVW TV, and uh, <laughs> and uh, he had fucked up a couple of matches. He'd fucked up the finishes as, as part of the show, right? And uh, he would hit the wrong guy or what the fuck ever. So the match is over and I'm standing, you know, fucking foot and a half, two feet above him, however tall it is. And I said, do you hear me? And I said, obviously not. So I get down off my knees and get in this way. I said, can you fucking hear me? Or not and say fucking, can you goddamn hear me now? Are you going to continue screwing up? You, you have, you have turned into a, you know, just whatever I'm telling him. Obviously I'm not cussing because it's OVW. Right, right. And I'm just airing him out. And, and then, I, then I haul off and slap the shit out of him. I said, are you hearing me now? And boy, he got an angry look on his face. And this little guy just lights into me. And then uh, I tell you who it was. It was, um, oh, God. Um, I was going to tell you who it was, but they were a tag team in OVW. And, um, oh, my God, I cannot believe I'm forgetting their name. Uh, one of them had a bit of a... Um, a Jeff Jarrett persona about him, and I think his name was Chris. I don't think it was Chris Michaels. God damn it. I'm going to have no, to I, think of who I was. Was it Chris Michaels and Sean Casey by chance? No, it wasn't them. It wasn't them, but it was another Southern-based tag team, and mm. uh, and they wrestled on Memphis television a little bit here and there. Oh, and uh, was Todd Morton involved by chance? Todd Morton, no. Todd, mm. I never worked with Todd. Todd was with with other companies then. I never worked with Todd. What was his goddamn name? I, I will research it and find out at a later time. Please do. Uh, that's going to drive they, me crazy, too. Blonde, they were a blonde-headed tag team in OVW, and they ran in to uh, save me from Mini B, the, the midget who was beating <laughs> me up. And, uh, God, what was I, I'm so terrible with names anymore. Uh, and, and I think both of them got a little bit of a tryout in the WWE. Both of them got up there for a little bit. But I can't think of their damn names. Uh, it wasn't uh it wasn't uh Chris Michaels it wasn't him oh well see now if I was doing my show there's 40 or 50 members always uh, and some of them from Louisville right right all the shit I can never think of so I'm always looking to the right to see the con- all right help me out guys who the fuck am I thinking of <laughs> um I can't think of it but if if you go back on the video and see uh, me and Minnie B turn on each other then the team that runs out to say is who I'm talking about I'm just I thought I, because I'm picturing them perfectly. I just can't think of their damn names, was, which I'm sure they will love. Wasn't the Tolans, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't the Tolans. Yeah, because that because I was thinking of them too. But they went up and had that like fireman gimmick or yeah. something. Yeah, man. Oh, I the w, yeah, that was that was good. We didn't do that down here. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't give them a fireman gimmick here, <laughs> but they did, and it didn't go so well. So, but no, it wasn't them. Uh, Tank and Chad was that. Yeah, that's. Was? I think that's correct right there. Yeah. Yeah. Now maybe Chad might have been this guy's partner, but he was um, he he was very big in Memphis television, and we had him here, blonde hair. Both of them had blonde hair. I don't know. 
I'll uh, I'll have to do some research and get back with you. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> but speaking speaking of Memphis, you know, like your last um I guess anything with OVW ended up being with, you know, Jerry the King Lawler. It kind of comes full circle there. Yeah. What was that like for you to close that chapter not only with, you know, the guy that started your love of wrestling, but right. then you get to close it with the same guy. What is it like to come full circle with that? And then transition back to, I guess, what we could call civilian reality. Yeah. Well, yeah, tw- I retired in September of 2012. Uh, Lawler and I had a few matches at Six Flash Kentucky Kingdom. I did not realize that I had beaten him. And I hear somebody has gone in and tried to change the record books. Because I remember <laughs> forever, forever it was listed that Kenny Boland defeats Jerry the King Lawler. And I said, when did I beat Lawler? And uh, they said it was a Six Flags. I said, I beat Lawler at Six Flags. So I'm picturing me pinning him. And what happened was this Lawler tried to pile drive me, but he couldn't pile drive me. So the referee had to go into business for himself and he disqualified Lawler mm. for trying to pile drive me. So I guess he got five minutes with me after a match with uh, uh, Hammer Evans. Do you remember Charles the Hammer Evans? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, if he beat Hammer, he got five minutes with me. So he gets me in the ring and he, and, and he is supposed to pile drive me and be disqualified. Well, he can't get my big ass up for the pile driver. He said the pile driving Haystacks Calhoun would have been easier. And uh, and he said I drove him halfway across the ring because I'm going probably 450 then if I, if I weigh an ounce. Maybe I might even Ooh. be up to 500 by then. And uh, so he tries to pull me in, and when he does, I drive him all the way across the ring. And I think uh, Sean O'Hare uh, did a run in and made the save for me to, to save me. But um, so for him trying to pile drive me, the referee had to disqualify him because the pile driver was never going to happen. He could not get me up. for Right. It. Right. So for years and years and years, it's listed in the record books as Kenny Boland defeats Jerry Lawler, which uh, I was pretty proud of that. But somebody looked it up recently and said that there was a match that me versus Lawler was ruled no contest. So I think Lawler got a hold of the powers that be of the Six Flag Record Demon Company and had the match changed where I beat him <laughs> to a no contest. He changed a work match yeah. that he was supposed to fucking lose. Only in wrestling. Know, I don't know he did that. Uh, who knows? Only in maybe wrestling, some, though. Maybe somebody that's a fan of Lawler went, I'm not going to say Jerry went through the trouble to get it changed. <laughs> but he could have he Donald Trumped it. He could have put the word out that he wasn't happy. That should have been a no contest. And then some Mark goes and does it. Right, right. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. That's uh, so. As far as I'm concerned, I be, the referee that night declared me the winner, and that's how the fucking record's going to stand. <laughs> if he wants to change it, we can have a fucking rematch. Absolutely. Seventy-two year old Lawler against sixty-two year old Bolin. That's a hundred and thirty-four <laughs> years, any way you look at it. Oh man, be, it'd be entertaining though. That's for sure. That is still younger than Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk in the ring here about five years ago oh. when me and Cornette went down. We took a Good limo Lord. down there to go see them. And then it was the limo ride from hell. Uh, there's, I think Jimmy and I have both told stories about the limo ride from hell. Oh, and boy. that was pretty much where the demise of our friendship was about to start. Oh God. It was, it was, we didn't last much longer than that limo ride. Oh boy. It's all down. What else we got, buddy? It's all downhill from there. And the last, the last question I got from you is just, I want to know more about, you know, the bowling alley. Tell me more about your podcast 
and tell my listeners too why they should tune into that because I have a feeling we're going to have quite a few people jumping over to that when this is done. Well, I hope so. Well, I hope so. I'll be going live tomorrow, uh, Tuesday night. I don't know when. The, when does this show air? Uh, this will be airing a few, uh, just a little ways out from here. So we got a little bit of time. All right. Well, well, the live shows are Tuesday nights and Thursday nights at nine oh five, and then I'll normally make a surprise show over the weekends, either a Saturday. Uh, uh, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, we'll throw in a bonus show just to kind of surprise people and Perfect. give them about 30 minutes to an hour's now, hey, let's do a show. And then uh, hopefully they're subscribed, get their notifications, and then and, and they're always in the evenings. You know, we try to go. Oh, yeah. When there's not much on television. I try not to go head-to-head with AEW or WWE. Uh, but the bowling alley is, uh, God, I think we're hovering around 1,250 to 1,300 episodes Ooh, now. We started man. back. Uh, I, I, I've, a lot of people uh, give me credit, and I think I am the the longest running original wrestling based podcast. Now, no, we don't have the viewers to back that up because I say a lot of shit people don't want you to talk about. I talk about COVID. I talk about politics. I talk about right. racism. I if, if YouTube can't advertise it, uh, and a lot of my shit advertisers run away from. Uh, but I'd rather talk about shit I want to talk about and educate people about things maybe they're not hearing anywhere else. That's Absolutely. what I like to talk about. So, um, And our donations are always good enough, and we raise enough money for our Filipino fundraisers. And we have enough memberships that I make decent money, and the Phil- and the Filipino families were trying to help make good money. So I've never worried about how many people are watching. I'm worried more about quality than I am quantity. Absolutely. Many of my shows are members only. If you want to watch the show, participate. If you want to watch the show, get a membership. If you want to watch the show, donate something. And I'll open it up to subscribers uh, only sometimes, but they have to be current subscribers. Because i got a few trollers that like to bust in and be noticed for three or four seconds. Yeah. And then they go away, and then they have to make a new Google account. And that's an obsession that that's uh, for another show when people are that sick. that they will. Ma- but I've, I've got people that have literally made thousands of accounts so that they can stalk my show. That's, that's a sickness that, that's beyond yeah. uh, discussion right there. So uh, I started doing podcasting, I think, in 2008 or 2009 on Who's Slamming Who. Mm-hmm. But even before then, I was doing all the hotlines. Yeah. And hotlines hotlines were, were podcasts before there were actually podcasts. And I remember those going back into 1995, 1996, when I was at IWA and uh, doing Ian Rotten's hotlines and, and, and various other hotlines. Those were kind of podcasts before podcasts came. So who's slamming who, who was a very easy transition, but nobody was slamming anybody. Everybody was coming on there blowing each other. So I start coming on talking shit on all the other podcast hosts, the Iron Sheik, John Cena Sr. <laughs> uh, Jerry Jarrett came aboard because he didn't know if I was working or shooting with these guys. And all the shit I would talk on Cornette, I'd bury Cornette on every show, even though I'm working with him. Uh, either with Smoky Mountain Wrestling or with OVW by that time. Right. And um, so I I cannot name you another podcast that's been running since then under the same name uh, with the same person since nine, since uh, 2000, probably 2008. It's been called The Bowling Alley. And uh, my son joined the show, and that's when we started going from a PG show to an R-rated show. And, and I remember um, the, the guy that was running Who's Slamming Who, I'm blanking out on his name, they started editing my shows. And I remember I made a phone call to him that they eventually released and played of me threatening him that if he ever edited my fucking shows again, 
I said, I record these for a reason. You air them the way they fucking are played because you would phone in your podcast. You rarely had guests, even though I did, because I'd bring people to my house and put them on another phone yeah. and have yeah. guests on the show that way. Aaron the Idol Stevens, Lance Cade, um, a few others, um, Irwin R. Scheister. That turned out not to be him, but they didn't know. So, <laughs> so, um, um, but they started editing my shows. If they didn't like what I said, they were editing it. They thought if the language was too strong, they'd edit it. I said, no, fuck, no, fuck that shit. You play your other PG shit all you want. This is my show. I don't want it to. So they played me calling whatever the guy's name is. I'm blanking out on his name. As you can tell, I can't remember anybody's name. <laughs> but whoever good. was running Who's Slamming Who back then, and, and you do you know? Uh, I, I don't offhand, and I'm trying to think, too. I, know I, I really can't of. think of any other podcast, like you said, that have been around that long under the same name yeah. either. So it was the original. Yeah, well, they call it the ori- original wrestling podcast, even though I identify with way, way more than wrestling these right, days. Right, right. Always there's wrestling talk, but we we rarely ever do. I mean, I have Anthony Scaramucci on and Mark Cuban and and uh, just about every wrestler you can name of at one time or another. But um, it's, it's uh, we, we cover everything, but wrestling will always work its way into the show because that's, that's the It would be like me peeing on Pete Rose's podcast, and somehow we didn't talk about baseball. Right. It's it's going to come up. So, uh, but yeah, as far as uh, one title, one name uh, from the from its inception, we would be the original wrestling podcast. And Honky Tonk Man gave me a great compliment back around two thousand nine, two thousand ten. He said Kenny Bowen may not have invented podcasting, but he sure as hell perfected it because he really liked how we did our shows. So, uh, but yeah, I fucked with the out. We used to get ten thousand shows within two or three uh, ten thousand views. On Facebook, we'd get another 10,000, 12,000 on YouTube. Ooh. And now the night the night I ratted Cornette out, me and my son ratted him out for the hot tub scandal, uh, I think we got in the neighborhood of 40,000 views. So if you give wow. the people what they want, they will watch the show. Absolutely. Um, I've got the, the Great Debate has gotten way over 100,000 views on three or four different recordings of it. Uh, I've got my own version of it that's got like 40-something thousand views. Um, uh, that we did on, on, on another, another podcast network. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of how it got going. So yeah, if you want to watch the bowling alley, uh, it's, uh, just go- just YouTube search it, the bowling alley. Uh, we're on every Tuesday night, Thursday night, normally at nine Oh five, every now and then we go on at eight Oh five and, uh, we discuss a little bit of everything. They're all live shows. And then once the show is over, it's immediately, available for everybody i don't go through any fucking trouble with that show i don't do any editing uh we have an opening theme song we have a closing theme song it is the budos band up from the south why because i like the song they used to copyright strike us but it would um it would play anyway and it would only be <laughs> forbidden in a few countries i said well as long as it's good here who gives a shit so now they don't strike us anymore i think they're flattered that we're playing a song from 2005 that we love, and no one would hear this song if it weren't for me. True <laughs> so story. That's that song has ran its course, and I and we noticed about three or four weeks ago they quit copyright striking us, <laughs> and it, it all it would do is just not let us air the show in certain countries. I said, well, we don't have that many people in that country watching it anyway, and they're not donating any money, so fuck them. Absolutely. So I like the song. We're going to keep <laughs> the song in. So up from the south, from the Budo band is who we got. That's it, and I'm going to make it easy for everybody to find it, too. I'm going to have a link to that in the show notes, so all all they got to do is do one click, they're there, and they can enjoy the quality there content. They can nice enjoy the music, easy. too. 
And like I said, we cover a little bit of everything and everybody. And, uh, oh, I have uh, Sergeant Slaughter's. Well, this show may have already aired by the time y'all get to hear about it, but you can go back and watch it. Absolutely. We have Sergeant Slaughter's daughter, uh, Kelly Slaughter, on Tuesday night. Um, that may have already happened, so just Google search that. That will be an interesting show because we're going to talk a lot about being raised by Sergeant Slaughter because she told oh, me yeah. uh, the other day that she's not really much of a wrestling fan. So that ought to be interesting. Oh, God. How the fuck can you be Sergeant Slaughter's daughter and not be a wrestling fan? And that's exactly. really all she's told me. She said, are you sure you want to interview me? I don't know that much about wrestling. And I said, well, okay, that'd make it even better. And uh, we have Conan coming on very soon. We're getting a date set up with him. We're going to have Disco Inferno back, maybe. We better change his political views because he's coming oh, into the wrong boy. house with me. We've had him on before. We've eaten him alive, and now right. he wants to come back again. Have fun with he, that one. Uh, he's a beat freak, son. He loves abuse, and he's going to come to the right place to get it. <laughs> and uh, Scaramucci comes on quite often. Mark Cuban, I'd like to get him back on in the near future now that the basketball season's over. Right. And uh, and various other wrestling talents uh, that, uh, you know, as uh, we find out they want to come on the show, we get them on. I, I think we're, we're trying to get uh, – um, uh, who's the guy that had the snake uh, – um, not Jake Roberts. The, no, no, no. The, pulled the snake out of his tights. Uh, what, oh. what did he wrestle as in WWE? Uh, the guy that Cornette slapped. Oh, uh, Santino. Santino Morella. Yeah. <laughs> told you I can't think of anybody's name. <laughs> uh, we've reached out to him. He started following me on Twitter, and he's a hell of a nice guy, even though I couldn't think of his name just now. And uh, but we had him in the OVW, and uh, he he basically got rid of Cornette. <laughs> Because when Jimmy slapped him, that was it. For oh Jimmy. yeah, Jimmy and OVW, that was it. So I'd love to have him on, and he's following me on Twitter, and I, I need to reach out to him and get a date set up. And um, and we've had Eric Bischoff on. That was a fun show. Him and my son nice. talked a lot about motorcycles. Uh, Vince Russo's been on several times. I've done his show several times. So uh, some good stuff. So uh, there Absolutely. you go. Uh, the Bowling Alley. Check it out. If you enjoy what you've heard here. You might even like my show better because I'm I've been way nicer here today than I am on my own show. Absolutely, and I mean I appreciate you not being a total heel on here, but not a total dick. Nah. That that may change here in just a moment because other, other other than when you didn't call me the star maker, we almost I, got off to a bad start. I still apologize for that. Don't pull a nux on me just yet, but uh, not yet. You're not yet. you're gonna get your chance for some revenge right here, and I I don't know how it's gonna go, but we're gonna take it to our main event segment now, and for almost an hour and a half at this point, I've been right. you know throwing questions your way, letting you tell your stories. Yeah. And yeah. now it's time to flip the roles a little bit and let you take the driver's seat and throw some questions my way. And as we were discussing beforehand, you didn't write them down, so these are going to be all I off the cuff. I didn't write them down. It's totally off the top of my head. I hope it goes off all right. Maybe yep. I, might, I might only have one question. Are you, tell me when you're ready. I'm ready when you are. Let's call it in the ring and hope it's not a Lawler pile driver. Here's the, fir- here's the first question. How old were you when you kissed your first man on the mouth? That still hasn't happened yet. Well, I guess that's uh, if, if that is an honest answer. I didn't. I didn't ask if it had happened. I asked when it happened. Uh, so well, then the I can say All that right, it so, hasn't happened. And, and I, I'm going to call you a lie. You never ever kissed your dad. No, my father wasn't really in the picture. He so. wasn't one of those. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, me and my son were always very affectionate, and uh, he he would call it a bush. Give me a bush, dad. And. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but we we were we were a very affectionate family. Uh, now the trollers are going to have Billy Kitty Kitty Bowling kissed his son in the mouth. I can hear it now. Uh, next question: uh, When did your acting coach tell you to give up acting? 
that hasn't happened yet either, but man, oh, I have oh, a feeling it might be coming. Answer for, you just got the same goddamn answer for everything, don't you? Um, who do you think is the greatest wrestling star you you've ever seen? Who's the greatest? Oh, it's such a tough question, but it, just from my point of view, because I've Let, never let's go with let's go with most entertaining. Ben, yeah, who uh, entertained you the most? It's obviously for me, it would have been Jerry the King Lawler. For me, it'll be Shawn Michaels. John Michaels, why Sean? Just the charisma, and then you know he's he's still bigger than me because I'm like five six, five seven. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that he could well, be. Well, I've stood beside him and, and gotten a picture with his world title belt with my son, and he he is bigger than five seven. I'll give you that. Absolutely, but then he could go in and be like just as believable in a match with these guys that are the the size of a Batista or a, a John Cena, an Undertaker, and look like he belonged there. So just the physicality, good looking, good the... looking and a good and a good worker. I mean, absolutely. he didn't get along with a lot of people. A lot of people didn't like him, especially Bret Hart. Oh but, no. Uh, when he was in the ring, man, he he could he could make it work. He earned his doubt. keep. Uh, that's three questions, right? Yes, sir. Who was the least entertaining wrestler you've ever seen on television? Where every time he came on, you just wanted to turn off the fucking television. Man, and you might be amazed. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you mine. Let's hear it. I had I had I had two, um, maybe three. Uh, one of them was and, and and Eric Bischoff loves this guy. And and I had to tell him I did not have the same opinion of of, of, Mon, of Mongo McMichael. Oh yeah, I was not into him. Every time I'd see him on television, like, what do they see? What why, why is this guy getting fucking camera time? And Bischoff loves him. And I'm sitting there listening to Bischoff just rave about what a great oh, God man. I said <laughs> you don't even want to hear all the shit I've said about Mongo McMichael. And the other one got to be X Pac. I come up with the phrase X Pac heat. Yep, and uh, and I know you've heard that phrase, and oh, yeah. I don't know anyone that ever said it before I did. I cannot trace anyone. Now, when I said it, it caught on, and uh, well, you didn't come up with that. Well, I also came up with the phrase Ninja Turtles too. So get over that fucking shit. <laughs> I invented Ninja Turtles. Next thing I know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. What the fuck? No royalties either. Fuck? That's a shame. Yeah, no, not a goddamn royalty one. Uh, so for me, it was Mongo McMichael. X-Pac, being as I came up with the phrase X-Pac, I never came up with Mongo McMichael heat. I didn't come up with that, but I did come up with X-Pac. <laughs> I should have came up with Mongo McMichael heat. Eric Bischoff would not have liked me much. Not at all. Oh, man. I'm... So, who, so who, who, who is it that just made you want to turn off the goddamn television? In all honesty. And not, not because they were good at getting heat, because you just weren't entertained by them and they were wasting time on your television screen. Uh, could I say... Would God in 2006 be a relevant answer? Because that's when I did turn it off for a while. You know, Vince versus God. But, um... I turned it off, too, because I didn't know about Vince versus God. I didn't catch that. Yeah, that was... It I, was guess we, I guess we both turned off the TV for that. I would say that, but on a more, more tangible answer, in all honesty, um, I would say... It, after a while, again, like I mentioned earlier, you can only see something so many times. Um, Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy was the one for me. Pop, oh, yeah. Big name yeah. in the news right now. I mean, I can only see. Yeah, yeah, we've covered him on my show. Like, yeah. Take his fucking keys. Don't let him near a car. Don't let him have keys. And somebody uh, program Uber on his fucking phone. Right. Please. Yeah. And I mean, I would was... kill somebody if you don't. Look what happened to Sonny. Yep. I mean, Sonny over and over and over again finally killed somebody. Unfortunately, and, and and I haven't really heard, and, and I'm sorry out of her yet. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the drinking and driving is a real sore spot with me. I hear that uh, Bill DeMott's not crazy about it either. No, they not at he all. lost his daughter to drunk driving, which I did not know. Dutch Mantell lost his granddaughter yep. to a drunk driving many, many years ago, so he's not very fond of it. Not at all. So, um, so that's uh, so. So, have, so uh, Jeff Hardy. Yeah, I would say so because I was more of a Matt. I was more of a Matt fan anyway. Now, see, I was probably more of a Jeff fan as far as entertaining in the ring, as far as watching him perform in the ring. Right. And I've worked and I've worked with both of them a few times, and I was there in the developmental days of uh, Smoky Mountain wrestling and uh and they actually became much bigger than i thought they would oh for sure uh, i thought they'd be okay but i never dreamed they'd become as big as they did trendsetters so they though a, they need a fifth question a fifth question uh what is your favorite breed of dog man uh and i have then i have three different breeds in my home right now i got a pit bull uh labrador and uh boxer slash vishla and all three have a specialness about them, but boy, that pit bull is a loving, loving dog. That that is my about answer. A group of dogs that's mislabeled for sure. That's oh. and that's one hundred percent my answer right there. And mm-hmm. pit bull, pit bull is it because you know, truth be told, like as we're recording this earlier this year, I I lost my two original rescue oh. pit bulls, one to cancer, and then two months to the to what would have been the first one's birthday, I, I yeah. had to put the other to sleep because he had. You know what, my, my, uh, one of my first Labradors ever, Misty, Mm -hmm. she was my first Labrador, Misty, she passed away on her 18th birthday, the day I moved in this house, it was her 18th birthday, and she didn't even get to come to this house, we had to have her put down, because she was so bad off, and, uh, oh, we love that dog, as a matter of fact, you see that big stuffed dog behind me? Yes, sir, I do. Uh, That's, that's in tribute to me, that's not, that's not Moo Cow, that's not Misty. Uh, but we found that stuffed animal and it looks so much like her. You gotta have and, it. Uh, so I just found it in my son's closet. I said, I want to bring that downstairs. Absolutely. And I set it up under my TV and that's in tribute to the, to, and her ashes are on my kitchen cabinet right now. Moo cow will live with us forever. Her name was Misty, but she got so big. We nicknamed her Moo cow. And it's- so her son is over here. Uh, that's Choco laying in the doggy bed there. That's Choco. That, that's my son's dog. Making a run in. Yeah. Moo cow's laying on the on the love seat in the back. You see, you see yep. him. I sure That's do. That's two cow. He he he's the son <laughs> of Moo cow. And then Choco's right. You want to come up here and say hi, Choco? No. All right. Uh, and I and I just brought her doggy bed down here because my son's out of town for a little bit. Right, right. Um, and then Scooby, if you if he was Scooby, you want to come here a minute? Oh, Where's there he Scooby? goes. There's Choco. <laughs> there, Choco. She's a little pit bull. She's a little big. Come here, Scooby. Come here, so you can say hi. And then when you see him, you know why they call him. Come here, Scooby. Oh, Come yep, on. I see it. There he is. There he is. Ooh, that's a big boy. Look over here, Scooby. See that? See that? Now you see why they call him Scooby. Yep. So he's uh, he's two and a half. Choco is nine, and Tukau is seven. Tukau will be eight in uh, September the seventeenth. Same day as Jimmy Cornette's birthday. Oh boy. Choco is March the sixteenth. Same as me and my son. And. Uh, Tukal's birthday, no, I'm sorry, Scooby's birthday is 11-11. 11-11. So his, his, his is pretty easy to remember, too. Oh, for sure. All right. For so sure. hopefully, I don't know if those are the best or worst five questions you've ever got, but uh, being as you do fundraising for the Humane Society, it's always good to know your favorite dog. You'll be over with my son. Absolutely. He he'll, never, he'll never have anything other than a pit bull with me, pit bulls and Labradors, but uh, Scooby's pretty cool, too. Yep, and I mean, if you – if 
if our listeners haven't already or anybody that's new goes back and checks my social media or even my old account that got hacked, you'll see nothing but pictures of pit bulls. Uh, you'll even see my my current pit bull now, Bo, and the shape he was in before the Humane Society hey, rescued him. Make sure him to send me some pictures of him. I'd love to Absolutely. See I'll have some coming after the fact here. But yeah, Good. he's uh, also uh, for my social media to get this out while we're thinking about it. Uh, Twitter is at Starmaker Bolin, yep. B O L I N. Facebook is forward slash Starmaker Bolin, and Instagram is Starmaker Bolin. So it's pretty easy to find me. And, and of course, the podcast is The Bolin Alley. And it's all going to be linked in the show notes, and we're going to keep it nice and easy for everybody to get that follow going. Well, as stupid as your fans are, let's make it as easy as we possibly can. <laughs> Click and go. But, man, more than anything, Kenny, I just appreciate you taking the time tonight. And to Steve Joyner for getting us connected, too, man. I, I can't thank you guys enough because we've been going for yeah, almost two shout hours out to here. Steve Joyner. He's going through a little shit tonight. I don't know if you've seen the update on that or not. But uh, shout out to Steve. I don't know if he's made it public or not. So I have I not. I know he... we talked a little bit earlier today. So, it, it you know, it sounded kind of like a rough time. But, yeah, yeah shout yeah, out to so... Steve. Yeah, hopefully everything's going good with Steve there. He's dealing with some shit tonight, and I'll let him make it public. But our thoughts are with you, Steve, and thank you for making this happen. Absolutely, and Kenny is the first of many upcoming guests that Steve has put me in contact with. Well, the rest of them are going to suck. Come (laughs) on, let's just, you know, after this. Well, when you start out with the main event, where do you go from there? Well, AEW does it all the time. They open with the main event, and then it just sucks the rest of the night. Oh, man. we're, We're already... We're already geared up and ready for some sucky guests coming up here on on the show. Well, hopefully this has everybody geared up and ready to have a great rest of their day whenever they decide to listen to it. If this was video, people could see I'm joking. They they think I'm shitting on all the other guests. (laughs) He says it with a smile on his face, folks. I I promise that. I did. (laughs) But, guys, in all seriousness, Kenny, thank you for your time. And, Steve, we're pulling for you. And thank you for making the contact here. It is greatly appreciated. Just like it's greatly appreciated that you guys tune in faithfully every week. The numbers are growing, and there's more There's more convention appearances coming down the line. There's more wrestling coming down the line. The acting thing is always going. So you guys are helping me stay busy, and I greatly appreciate that because it doesn't feel like work when you're doing something you love. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys for everything, and thank you for continuing to tune in. And Kenny, thank you again for your time here tonight. Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, on my charity, the one I do on every show I do, raising money for Filipino families that are struggling for food, mm-hmm. electrical assistance, rental assistance, various things like that, especially the food. And you can donate at foodforfilipinos at gmail.com. Look up how to spell it. Foodforfilipinos at gmail.com. Or you can send it to Kenny Bolin at msn.com. Just make sure that you tell me where you want the money to go. But that's the main thing we raise money for, so it's pretty easy to figure out. And we'll have links to all of that in the show notes, guys, to make it easy, make it simple, and you know that it's going to a great cause. So let's help out where we can, and don't be afraid to use that word of mouth, Let's too, help but... out the dogs, let's help out the Filipinos. That's it, let's help them all out and help out and those... And help out Filipinos with dogs. One, one of my Filipino yeah. fans, her name is Eunice, we'll give Eunice a little shout-out real quick. She has rescued 17 dogs and 6 cats. Wow. And Bob and myself and many members of my show, we make sure that they have food for all those animals. Because I told her, I said, well, why don't you give 15 of them away? And she started crying. She said, well, I took them from bad homes. I don't want to give them back to bad homes. Here we take care of them. We feed them. The community gives us a little bit of help, but not as much as we need. I said, well, we'll help you here. So Absolutely. We, we raise money to feed those dogs every month, and that's part of what we're doing um and hey man i I don't have 17 dogs and seven cats i would if i could but 
She, yeah, yeah. One of these days, I get me a big old fenced-in backyard. Uh, yep. Maybe I'll have something similar to that too. That's but, the yeah, dream. Shout out to Eunice for taking care of all those doggies in the Philippines, and and that's part of what our donations go for is to help feed those animals as well. Absolutely. So, guys, let's help out where we can. Let's make sure that we're helping the Filipinos. Let's make sure we're helping the dogs. And let's just make sure that we're doing some good in the world and doing some good for yourself, too, because we all need it. But, man, I think this is a great place to top it off here tonight. So, Kenny, thank you again so much for being on here. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. Of course. And, guys, thank you all for tuning in religiously. I really appreciate it. And you know that I'm going to be back next week with another awesome interview and another awesome guest. Maybe, maybe not as cool as the star maker, the king, oh, Kenny no, Bowen himself. <laughs> it's going to be a letdown, but tune in anyway just to see who it is. Absolutely, because you know we'll be back at the same time on all your favorite podcasting platforms, and you know that I can't wait to talk to you then. So for myself, for Kenny, we thank you for tuning in here tonight, and I can't wait to talk to you again next week. And I know you hear me. The I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week, and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.